that you're joining in the praise of God today. It's going to be a little bit of a worship and praise experience. I hope that the Holy Spirit will touch what I'm about to say and lead us into the throne room. So um, let's pray at the outset and then I'll guide us through the next little while. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the grace of God that enables us to find truth through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the way that you allow us to meditate. You charge our imagination with thoughts and questions and we muse and and puzzle over things. And Lord, you work it all to your glory through the revelation of who you are. And we pray that today would be a grand exploration, a grand expansion of our concept of God. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please take a seat and welcome to everybody who is at home watching on their computers or phones or wherever. Today, our our topic is God concept and the defeat of words. And I'd like to lead us in a little prose. So join with me, watch the screens and capture or let this grab your imagination and and come with me on the journey today. The defeat of words. They rest on time-honoured tradition, based on babies babbling from the beginning, building blockades of cultural meaning. Words emerge and surge with depth of meaning The tide of understanding flows in and out of fashion. New words gestate, are birthed and quickly grow to maturity or obscurity. Capturing meaning and enforcing understanding. We, their prisoners, try to keep step, steeped in innuendo and intuition. Sticks Stones and broken bones we place at the altar of Annunciation. Gathering at the shrine of oration to revere the power of words. To explain and describe. A thousand words per picture. The creativity of creation. What of the creator? How to describe the indescribable, to explain the infinite in finite terms, faced with the face of God, to be present in his presence, close to perfection, perfect love, perfect truth, perfect justice perfect worth. Once rich in definition, charged with meaning, now crumpled and deflated, adjectives exhausted by common usage. Awesome. Excellent. Wonderful. Amazing. Meant for God. 
ascribed to boysenberry ripple ice cream. Undervaluing the poignancy of understanding continues unabated, yet God remains fully, totally, incomparably unique. He cannot be overstated or underestimated. Supreme justice courts inexhaustible mercy. Total love revealed in perfect light. Meditative imaginations of such complex splendor render words use less than useless. Speechless before this avalanche of extravagance, all words fall short of the glory of God. Depleted vowel and consonant combinations cannot carry the vital weight of his majesty. When words meet God, words meet defeat. Left with breath alone, take in the essence of his wonder and breathe out worship. This is the first part of a three-part occasional series. My intention is to, in, at a future date, should I be given the opportunity again, <laughs> to talk about sin concept and the sliding scale of separation. And then finally, to to discuss the grace concept and the impossible reality. But today we're talking about God concept and the defeat of words. Well, what is a concept? A concept is a principle. It's an idea. We, we gather information and we form an opinion, an idea of what a particular aspect or subject is. So we might have a concept of what is fair we might have a concept of what is fashionable. And Kobe shared his concept for giving. Through discussion, sharing our life stories and experiences, we can actually influence each other in our concepts. As a Christian, I believe our concept of God or sin or grace can be influenced and affected by three things, meditation, revelation, and imagination. Because meditation is like chewing the cud, just musing on that thing over and over. It could be God's word, God's ways. Uh, those types of intense, but with a, a rationale to kind of suck it, get all its worth, all its meaning. That's meditation. Imagination, John Piper says, is... The hardest work of the human mind, and perhaps the most godlike, our imagination is the closest we ever get to creating something out of nothing. And revelation, of course, is the work of the Holy Spirit. When we meditate and we have imagined, asked questions, considered, dreamed, we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to us. So I invite you today to meditate 
and to use your imagination. And together we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth as we explore and expand what may be your God concept, my God concept, and how words are defeated in the presence of God. I'd like to take us on a bit of a journey to start off by looking at Isaiah chapter 6. Now normally what happens is the words come up on the screen, but today the words aren't going to come up on the screen. They'll come into your ears and on the screen you will see some photographs. And so I hope that you'll be able to use that and start your imagination going. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 through to 9 from the Message Bible. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the master sitting on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Angel seraphs hovered above him, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two their feet, and with two they flew, and they called back and forth one to the other, Holy, holy, holy is God of the angel armies. His bright glory fills the whole earth. The foundations trembled at the sound of the angel voices, and then the whole house was filled with smoke. I said, doom, it's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I live with talk the same way, using words that corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked God in the face, the King. God of angel armies. Then one of the angel seraphs flew to me. He held a live coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with the coal and he said, Look, this coal has touched your lips. Gone your guilt. Your sins wiped out. Then I heard the voice of the Master. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I spoke up. I'll go. Send me. So in that passage, we see three things. God is alive. We see God is above. And we see God is holy. And there's other things that we'll touch on at a future time. But if we focus our attention on the fact that God is alive and that that scripture begins by saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uzziah was a great king of Israel. As far as it goes in the records of history of Israel, there were good kings, there were bad kings. Uzziah was one of the good. There's a whole chapter in 2 Chronicles 26 which is devoted to all his achievements. He went a bit bad at the end, but overall, his achievements were good. He was a, a very strong political figure. 
their, everything about Israel prospered during the time of Isaiah. And the dependency of the people on the king was great. So it's interesting to note that Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah was out of the way. Isaiah was able to see the Lord. Someone, a commentator, said that God had to empty the throne so that Isaiah could see that the throne wasn't empty. And I thought to myself, what does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? What are the things that get in our way of seeing God? What are the Isaiahs in our life? What are the things that put themselves up that we rely on and depend upon that stop us, that block us from seeing God? God has always been alive, and yet sometimes we have not seen that God is alive. In Psalm 90, at the start, the psalmist writes, God, it seems you've been our home forever. Long before the mountains were born, long before you brought earth itself to birth, from once upon a time to kingdom come, you are God. God is always alive. He said to Moses, I am who I am. That was a name that he gave to himself. Some people say, as they've studied the scripture, they say that a better rendering is, is I am who I am becoming. In other words, I already am what I will be, but I am. I am alive and God is always alive. God is above. The scripture describes a high and exalted throne. This is a symbol of God's authority. He's sitting on the throne. Now, some of you might have seen the new Disney movie Mulan. And there are some several great scenes where Mulan has to go to the imperial uh, city. Um, she's charged with protecting the emperor. And as she attends that uh, setting, in some of the scenes we see, like, I don't know, there might be 30, 40 steps to get up to the throne room. That's on the outside. So you have to, first of all, ascend 40 or so steps. Then when you get into the throne room, you're struck by the fact that nothing is in the throne room except the throne. And the throne is on a dais. And to get up to the throne, you have another seven or eight steps to climb. Everybody else in the room is standing around, but the king, the emperor, is sitting. And that's just a human example of the high and exalted nature that the Chinese people held their emperor in. There's the esteem. So we can see from that, God, who is above everything, high and exalted, way, way, way above 40 steps, way, way, way above seven steps to the throne, high and exalted, supreme authority, not just a worldly authority. And God is sitting and this is interesting. God is sitting. He's not panicked. He's not surprised. He's never unsure. Nothing, nothing kind of goes, makes him stand up and think, oh, I wasn't expecting that. God doesn't stand. God sits. He sits above everything. 
Now, he sits above everything, but he's not aloof. He's not removed from your personal situation. He knows and is involved in global issues. He knows and is involved in national issues. But he sits above it. He has all authority. We don't give God authority over our lives. He already has it. So for the people in the room here and the people on the uh, live stream and for everyone who isn't, isn't even in the sound of my voice, God has authority. He's utterly authoritative, fully in control. One of my Bible college lecturers used to say, God is on the throne, there's no panic in heaven. We also see his train filled the temple. I was thinking about this. What does that mean? I mean, I've seen, and you possibly have seen, weddings, royal weddings, where the bride walks through the cathedral, up the aisle, the train goes, you know, does that rivulet kind of thing up the steps and then along the aisle down to the place where they're going to get married. And it might be six metres long, ten metres long. We're talking here... God's train filled the temple. It didn't st stop just a few metres behind. It filled the temple. Now, use your imagination to get that. Imagine this. This is a very poor example. But imagine this is the temple and God is in his temple. His train fills the temple. That means it's covering all of us. And like this is a worldly example, but in the spiritual, I think that's... That's true. God's train is over all of us, filling the temple. The, the degree of that just blows my imagination as I think about how extravagant that is. He didn't just go for the cheap fabric. God's train, you can imagine, splendor, extravagant. Creativity, lavish creativity. All that sewn stuff and the gems and everything, beautiful. An all-encompassing majesty. So God's train fills the temple and can you see it? He's majestic over everything. And from time immemorial, eternity past to eternity future, the train filling the temple speaks to me about God's undiminished grandeur. He is king. He is king. He is king in the past. He is king today. He is king tomorrow and into eternity. Undiminished. Of course, the angels are created beings and they fly around and they're worshipping God. They're calling out to each other. They're not telling God he's holy. They're reminding each other that God is holy. They are created beings. They have six wings. Two of them cover their face Two cover their feet and they're flying around reminding each other that God is holy. They can't look directly at the presence of God. That's why they're covering their face. That's why they're covering their feet. God is holy. Now that brings us to our third and final point. God is holy. What an understatement. God is not just holy. The angels, we read, they singing, holy, holy, holy. 
it's, it's as if there's not enough in one utterance of that word to describe God's holiness. He's holy, holy, holy. And they say his glory fills the earth. It's amazing. In this setting of worship, I think we really realise that words become redundant. Words are defeated. The best words that we can use to try and describe God's attributes reach a limit which God surpasses. So the definition and the weight of words is lost. I love this scripture in Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk's describing the idols and the idol makers, expecting something more from what they have made out of wood or stone or metal. He says, wake up. What do you think you are? You're saying to a stick of wood, get up, or a dumb stone, get up. Can they teach you anything about anything? There's nothing to them but surface. There's nothing on the inside. But he goes on to say, but oh, God is in his holy temple. Quiet, everyone. A holy silence. Listen. R.C. Sproul, the American theologian, said that holiness of God is one of the most important ideas that a Christian can ever grapple with. Holiness basically describes God by saying that God, in the derivation of the word holy, God is set apart. God is separate. He's, in fact, so unique and so set apart that we can't actually compare him to anything that we know in our earthly experience. So in saying that God is holy, pretty much we're saying God is God. God is God. His, in his holiness is his godness. He's so separate, so set apart. I love this uh, thought that came from a commentary. The glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness on the earth. So if you think about it, it's like God is holy, but here on the earth we see his glory, so his glory on earth is his holiness going public. Can I get the band up? It's, it's like God's glory is an open revelation to people of God's secret holiness. He's, he's wanting to interact with people, he's displaying his glory so that people will look up. And we've spent such a long time in the history of humanity, and particularly over the last couple of centuries, lifting up man and diminishing God. Our answers come from science and technology. So we have become like a big man, small God culture. When the Bible is big God, small man. And so we have to work against our culture to really get the concept of God, the reality of God. I'm going to read to finish, and then I'm, I'm hoping that we can spend some moments worshipping together from a quotation from a worship initiative, and this is written by David Mathis. Before the prophet 
felt the weight and tarnish of his own sin and declared woe on himself, he first heard and was caught up into the angelic praise of heaven. And it wasn't just holy, but holy, holy, holy. Would you stand with me? God has given us a word that is especially fit for declaring his praise when all other language fails us. We often praise him in ways that we can understand, borrowed from our finite and limited human experience. We praise his strength. We praise his love. We praise his justice. We praise his mercy. But we also grow to realise in fits and bursts that God's value and worth not only fill up our human categories, but far surpass them. He is even more strong than we know. He's even more loving, more just, even more merciful. In those moments, when we sense that we've exhausted the comparisons to our world and experience, we have a word to reach for. Holy. When we're aware of his uniqueness and that he's in a class by himself, utterly set apart from us, higher than us and gloriously other, we cry, holy. When we catch a glimpse of his infinite intrinsic value and wonder in worship, who else is like God? We bow and cry, holy, 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 because no one else wields the authority of our God. No one else commands the host of heaven. No one else makes kings, not just some kings, but one day soon all kings bow down. No one else can make the darkness itself tremble with a whisper. No other glory is like His. No other deserves such praise. No other splendour outshines the sun. No other beauty, no other power, no other name is like His. Consuming fire, raising the dead, unshakably triumphant. And all the more after those brief moments at Calvary, when it looked like to human eyes, defeat. What more can we possibly say but holy, 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 